0: Psalm 13. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes while I will sleep in death, and my enemy will say, I have overcome him. And my foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. Matthew 26, and we're starting at verse 36. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. Why don't we pray and then we're going to have a look at Psalm 13 together.
1: I heavenly Father, as we come now to our topic which is I guess, really dear to our hearts and quite emotional, but we do pray that you'd be really kind to us and generous. Please help us understand Psalm 13 in our minds and please help our hearts be warned and comforted, and made even challenged by the words that we read on the topic of suffering. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. Amen. <laughs> I remember one day, one seemingly normal day, answering the phone and hearing my mum on the other end of the line struggling to speak as she tried to get the words out, as she tried to tell me that one of the members of our wider family had just died. She was in her early 20s. And she died with no warning, no chance to say goodbye. Gone. And that event, it shattered people in my family who were closest to her. And they spent the next few years trying to pick up the pieces of their lives. Uh, if I can guarantee you one thing about life, I think it's this. In your life, you are probably going to go through times of deep and desperate suffering. And I can guarantee that, I think, because we live in a broken world, a world that's been infected by sin. So at some point, it's most likely that you're going to go through times of deep and desperate suffering. The kind of suffering, I think, that results in sleepless nights, constant worrying, desperate prayer to God, heavy hearts, where the joy just seems to be sucked out of life, where the colour and taste has been drained away from everything. That kind of suffering, it raises all sorts of questions about God. It affects every area of life, our mental, our emotional, our spiritual life. And I think as soon as we raise the topic of that kind of deep suffering, I think there's two likely emotional responses in the room. I think the first kind of response comes from the person who has already tasted that, the kind of person who's already experienced it. And I'm sure many of us here have. And if that's you, your mind has probably already dragged up the memory of what that felt like. You know exactly what that feels like. I want to say to you, if that's you, I want to say, Psalm 13 is a lifeline. It is a real soothing balm, I think, for pain. I think the second kind of response comes from the person who hasn't suffered like that yet. Now, we've all suffered in some level, but not all of us, I think, have experienced the deep kind of suffering that sends shockwaves through every part of our life. And, and if that's you, if you intellectually recognise the deep tragedy of suffering, but you haven't personally experienced it yet, your response might be to say, oh, well, Psalm 13 is, I can intellectually see why Psalm 13 is important, but it's not really for me. Uh, and if that's you, I want to say, uh, thank God uh, that you haven't been there yet, but you're only one phone call away from that kind of suffering. One phone call is all it's going to take to plunge your life to that death. I mean, you could leave here tonight and check your phone and there'll be a message on it that just simply says, please call me as soon as you get this. I don't think there's anyone here, actually, that doesn't need to hear what Psalm 13 offers us when it comes to suffering. Psalm 13, Psalm 13 was written by King David when he was in a place of really deep anguish and suffering. And for me personally, Psalm 13 over the years has been a real place to go during suffering. And before we start looking at Psalm 13, I really want to say that look, there there is nothing that anybody can offer you in just six verses that will solve the problem of pain. For you. There's no bumper sticker style fix-it sentence that will solve the problem of pain for you. But Psalm 13 is a very good start. And for me, it has been a real place to turn to over the years uh, in suffering. And I think it will be for you as well. So why don't we find out why? Come with me into Psalm 13 if you've got it in front of you. I think the first reason why Psalm 13 has been so helpful for me. Uh, over the years is that Psalm fifteen it is so truthfully honest about the pain, about the anger, about the depression that suffering can cause us. It's truthfully and brutally honest about how suffering may cause us to even doubt God's goodness to us. And that is an amazing thing for the Bible to be honest about. If you look at the first two verses in the psalm, what you're looking at is an expression of pain. In those first two verses, David from his place of suffering, he unleashes this kind of barrage of questions towards God. And it actually shows you how much pain David is in. Firstly, David feels completely abandoned by God. Or in the language of verse 1, it feels like God's forgotten him or turned his face from him. Look at verse 1. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? David is suffering and it feels like God has forgotten him. It feels like God has stopped his sovereign and purposeful care of David. The way that David puts it in the second half of that verse is that it feels like God is hiding his face from David. It feels like he stopped looking after him with kindness. Now that's not the reality, but that's what it feels like. I think if we're honest, it's very easy to feel that way when we suffer. It's very easy to feel like God has abandoned us, or forgotten us, or that he's hiding his face from us. But Psalm 13, it's really truthfully honest in how suffering affects David's experience of God. It's also truthfully honest in how suffering affects his emotional state and mental state. Look at verse 2. He says, How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? And if you've really suffered, you know how true verse 2 is. Because you'll know how suffering just dominates your thoughts. You can't stop thinking about it. You think about it all day, you think about it all night when you're trying to sleep, when you finally get to sleep, you dream about it, and when you wake up in the morning, it's the first thing that you think about. It dominates your thinking all the next day at school or at uni or at work. I mean, occasionally there's some things happen in the day that it drags your mind away from your suffering, but your mind just eventually just gravitates back to thinking and stressing about everything that you're going through. And that's what David is talking about when he says, how long must I wrestle with my thoughts? It dominates our thoughts. But not just that, it can depress our hearts, which is exactly what David talks about in the second half of verse 2. Look at the second half of verse 2. He says, day after day I have sorrow in my heart. Suffering can slowly depress our heart. Day by day it can bring you lower and lower, You can feel yourself sinking deeper and deeper into sadness and sorrow. Joy can start to become a distant memory. And you can share with David and saying, day after day I have sorrow in my heart. See, I find Psalm 13 personally so very, very helpful because it starts with a really truthful assessment of what suffering feels like if you're a Christian. It can feel like God has forgotten us. It can dominate our thoughts, and it can it can depress our heart. Uh, some years ago, um, I had an accident, and for the last five years, I have really struggled uh, with physical pain. Uh, five years ago, I really badly damaged my spine so badly I actually couldn't properly walk, and I couldn't get out of bed for uh, about four months. But things got so bad that I couldn't actually even get changed. My wife actually was the one who had to change me each morning. I couldn't look after my family. I couldn't work. Uh, My wife couldn't work either because she had to look after kids as well as her husband. So we were unemployed for years, but spending seemingly all the money that we had on medical treatment. I was in constant pain. I started to not eat. I couldn't sleep. And I started down the road uh, to depression, And it was in that context that I received the phone call from my mum that I told you about at the start to tell me about the death of someone in our family. And the accumulation of those events, the summation of all those events, it really started to lead me down a very dark path in my mind. And verse 1 and 2 of Psalm 13 is exactly what it felt like In the words of David, it actually felt like God had abandoned me. It felt like God had stopped caring. In the words of David, I wrestled with my thoughts day and night. In the words of David, I had sorrow day after day in my heart. And the first two verses of Psalm 13 was a place I could go. Because it really legitimised all those emotions that I was having. It legitimises those feelings. And let me tell you, that is so important for you to grasp. Because when you're really suffering, and when those feelings and emotions come up, it is very easy for you to feel like there's something wrong with your Christian maturity. Or that you shouldn't be having these feelings at all. But that kind of emotional and mental pain that is a result of suffering is not something to be embarrassed about. The Bible doesn't try to sweep it away as if it's some sort of embarrassing flaw in your Christian faith that shows you're really immature. The Bible never treats suffering as this petty earthly concern for those who are weak in faith. And the Bible legitimises all of the pain, all of the emotional pain, all of the mental pain that suffering brings. Now, Psalm 13, it's going to go on a little bit later to show that it's not true that God has abandoned us, but it starts by legitimising those feelings. It's not true, but that's really what it can feel like in the middle of suffering. Suffering, it raises all sorts of questions about God. It dominates our mind and can depress our hearts. But the fact that Psalm 13 is in the Bible shows you that it's okay as a Christian to bring and express all that anguished pain in prayer to God. You don't have to hide it from anyone else and you certainly don't have to hide it from God. That's the first point in Psalm 13. In verse 1 and 2 we see this expression of pain that suffering can bring. That's the place that Psalm 13 starts. uh, But thank God it doesn't leave us there. Because from that place of desperate suffering, David throws up this prayer for rescue in the next few verses. Look at verse 3 with me. Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death and my enemy will say, I overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. In other words, David is saying, God, do something. Look on me, stop hiding your face from me, act. Give light to my eyes, he says. Having dull eyes in the Psalms is always uh, describing an experience of anguish or pain. So when David asks for God to give light to his eyes, he's asking for relief, he's asking for God to take it away. Verse 3 is this desperate prayer from David for God to act, to relieve him of his suffering and his pain. And verse 4, it gives us an insight into exactly what David might have been suffering. Look at verse 4. He says, Unless God saves him, verse 4, my enemy will say, I've overcome him, and my foes will rejoice when I fall. It seems like David's suffering has been caused by his enemies. Now he doesn't say exactly what, but it does seem like people are out to get him, and it looks like. They've been successful in doing it. And so he's crying out to God for help in verse 3. And in the middle of suffering, I think that's what the human heart really longs for. It longs for rescue. And when you're suffering, having company is good. Compassion can be soothing. Advice can be helpful. But surely what you long for most in the middle of suffering is for salvation, is for rescue is for relief, is for God to act in your time of need. And so David, in verse 3 and 4, he is desperately crying out for God to save him. Now, suffering, it can be caused by anything. For David, it was it was his enemies. For us, it could be our enemies, or it could be even your treatment at the hands of somebody that you love. It could be a loss of job. It could be failure at university. It could be loss of health. It can be anything. And in the middle of suffering, whatever has caused it, I think the cry of the human heart is for rescue, is for relief, is for God to act. As much as those first two verses in Psalm 13 legitimises the emotional pain that we might have, the psalm as a whole never suggests that you should just stoically accept it. And so David, he launches this desperate prayer for God to act in verses 3 and 4. That's the second point: is this prayer for rescue. So the psalm starts with this expression of pain in verses one and two. David feels forgotten by God. He's tormented in his mind. He's sorrowful in his heart. The next thing you see is this prayer of desperation for rescue. And if you suffered, I think up to this point in the psalm, you know what that's like. I think most of us look at this point, these two points, and say, yeah, that that is what my experience of suffering was like. But I wonder how true to your experience you find the final point that David makes. Because in the final two verses of the psalm, there's this really strange section that seems really out of place. In the last few verses, David bursts into an expression of trust. Verse 5-6, to it closes the psalm with this Uh, a praise-filled expression of trust to God. Look at it with me from verse 5. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. I trust in your unfailing love, he says. Unfailing love? seems like God's love has failed him actually pretty badly. My heart rejoices in your salvation. He says, salvation? What salvation? David, life is smashing you. The next thing he says is, I will sing the Lord's praise. Praising for what? For forgetting you? For turning his face from you? Why, David, why are you singing this expression of trust in God while God is letting you suffer at the hands of your enemies? Why?
0: The answer seems to
1: be, from the psalm, that David is really sure. He's really sure that God will eventually rescue him. David is struggling. His enemies seem to have the upper hand. And yet David is so confident that God will rescue him at some point in the future. David trusts that God won't let his enemies triumph. And the reason that David feels that way is the very last thing that he says. Look at his last words. He says, for he, for that means for God, has been good to me. Because God has been so good to David in his past, David trusts that God will be good to him again in his present situation. Because God has been good to him and cared for him in the past, David trusts that God will care for him now in his present suffering. He's suffering now, but what David is saying is, yeah, I I am suffering now, but, verse 5, but I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise. Why? Because he's been good to me. He's been good to me in the past. David is so sure that, he won't, that God won't abandon him and let his enemies triumph because God has been so good to him in the past. He looks at God's goodness in the past and he decides to trust God in the present. And you might be thinking, well, that's great that David has that level of confidence in God. But I don't. My life hasn't been as blessed as David's. When I survey my life, what good in the past am I supposed to look at and see that as a guarantee that God will release me from suffering in the future? But for me, that's the question I have to ask when I get to the end of Psalm 13. What is... What is the good event that I am supposed to look at in my past, like David, and see that as a guarantee that God will release me from suffering in the near future? Well, I think the event that you're supposed to look at is the thing which Psalm 13 pushes you forward to see. Because years after King David wrote Psalm 13, there's another king of Israel. Another king of Israel, just like King David, who finds himself suffering at the hands of his enemies. Another king who is surrounded by his enemies and prays the three same things that David prays in Psalm 13. The difference is he prays it in a garden called Gethsemane. Because Jesus He is the ultimate model of Psalm 13. Jesus is the person that Psalm 13 is pushing us to look forward to. See, David, he finds himself surrounded by his enemies and he prays three things. He has an expression of pain, he has this prayer for rescue, and then he has this expression of trust. And did you notice when we had our Bible reading that they are the very three same things that Jesus prays in the garden. He has this expression of pain. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he says. That's Jesus giving voice, his expression of pain, just like David does in verse 1 and 2. He has this prayer for rescue. My Father, if it's possible, may this cup be taken from me. That's Jesus' prayer for rescue, for deliverance, just like David prays in verses 3 and 4. And then he finishes with this expression of trust. Not my will, says Jesus, but yours. That's Jesus expressing his trust in God, just like David does in the closing verses of Psalm 13. With the crucifixion looming, with his enemies just about to surround him, Jesus prays the very same three things that David prays in Psalm 13. And then after Jesus prays it, He steps into the ultimate suffering. He suffers God's wrath on the cross, for sins that he didn't commit. And Jesus takes that suffering so that you and I don't have to. And so that you and I might be reconciled to God and have life eternal with him where there is no suffering. See, if you're a Christian, We are heading to a future where there is no suffering. Eternal life with God in a new creation, free from pain, free from disease, free from death. And that suffering-free future is guaranteed to us because of God's goodness to us in the past through the cross of Jesus. So as David reflects on God's goodness to him in the past and confidently sees that as a guarantee that God will release him from suffering in the future, you and I can do the same thing. We can look look at God's goodness to us in the past, at the event of Jesus' death, and we can confidently see a guaranteed future in heaven with no suffering, our suffering ends. I want to give you a real-life story to try and show you actually how that changes uh, the way you engage uh, with suffering. Uh, This story happened about 10 years ago. I only heard it recently um, in a sermon on Psalm 13, actually. Uh, But you might remember the Boxing Day tsunami of 2004, which sent a massive tidal wave across 14 countries. It killed like 230,000 people. As part of the people that are killed, it also killed a young missionary family from Denmark who were working in the area as missionaries. And back in Denmark, after this event, they interviewed the father of the young man that was washed away. This young man got washed away, as did his wife, as did their two kids. And they interviewed the grieving father back. In Denmark. So think about this. This guy has seen his family, his son and his family, move overseas as missionaries to serve God, be killed by this tsunami. And the interviewer at point blank asks this grieving father, what would you say about a God that forced such suffering on you? He's just seen his son and his son's family washed away and they ask him, what would you say? about a God that had forced such suffering on you. They asked him a point 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 blank. But here's what he said. I would say, the greatest suffering in the universe took place in Jesus, which is why my sins are forgiven. And I'm sure as I'm standing here that someday I will see my son again because somebody else took a much greater suffering than anything my son ever took. Did you hear what he said? He just basically summarised Psalm 13. He basically said, "Yes, yeah, suffering happens, but God has been so good to me. The suffering that I'm going through now as a grieving father, and the suffering my son went through will end. God will end it. And I'll be rescued from that suffering, because there will be a time in heaven when." we'll see each other again. God will rescue me from my present suffering and it's all because Jesus took the ultimate suffering for my sins on the cross. He basically summarised Psalm 13. Can you, I find that amazing, can you imagine having the ability to say that in the middle of your suffering, in the middle of an interview, right in an instant? Can you imagine that? That's actually where Psalm 13 leads you. We may suffer all sorts of things now. Back injuries, failed health, pain, heartbreak, all sorts of stuff. And God may very well rescue you from those things in the present now, and he often does. But if he doesn't rescue you now from those things, he will one day. We will be rescued from it in the new creation where there is no suffering, ever. And we have that to look forward to because Jesus suffered the ultimate suffering at the cross to get us there. In Psalm 13, David is reflecting on God's goodness to him in the past and he confidently sees that as some sort of guarantee that God will end his suffering in the present. And we can do the same, but we have even more reason to do it than David ever did. There's something in our past that we can look at too. Some place where we can see God's goodness to us. There's something that guarantees that God will deliver us from our present suffering, whatever it is. And it's the cross of Christ. Because that's the place where we are guaranteed participation in a suffering-free future with God in heaven. That's where Psalm 13 leads us. So, why don't we just put a line under Psalm 13? And I want to ask ourselves the question what does this mean for us now in the present while we suffer? I want to suggest it leaves us with two things. Firstly, it means we can actually trust God even in the middle of suffering. He hasn't abandoned us, He hasn't stopped caring. God has been very good to us. The cross is the place that you can look to see God's goodness. Because we can see Jesus plunged into the ultimate suffering on the cross to secure for us eternal life in heaven where there is no suffering, where there is no pain. God has not abandoned us, He hasn't stopped caring. He is still so trustworthy. So as we suffer in the here and now, we can actually say with David, yes, I am suffering, but, verse 5, but I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. We can actually continue to trust God, even in the middle of suffering. I think the second thing it means for us is it means that we can actually endure suffering. Because we have this tremendous resource to deal with suffering in the present, because we actually have a guarantee that that suffering will end at some point in the future. And you can endure things when you know it's going to end. You can endure the physical pain of, of a broken ankle because you know that it's going to end at some point. You can endure examination period at the end of the year because you know it'll end and you'll have summer holidays at some point and you can endure suffering really bad suffering in this life because you know as a christian it'll end and god will bring you to some beautiful suffering free future god has guaranteed to rescue you from it and bring you to life eternal with him No matter what that suffering is, whether it's health or family problems or finance problems or or mental problems, it won't go on forever. God will rescue you from it. See, if you're a Christian, the question is not will God rescue you from your suffering, the question is actually when. Because he will either act some way now in this life to end your suffering, or, or he will end all suffering when his kingdom comes. So the question that we as Christians end up asking when we suffer is, how long? Which did you notice? That's the question that David asks four times in the opening verses of this psalm. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts? How long? That's the question that we end up asking. How long? It's not, will you ever? It's, how long? We have a couple of kids, my wife and I, and my five-year-old, uh, he always prays before he goes to bed. And one thing that he prays for every single night, without missing, is he prays that God would fix Daddy's back. And the most wonderful thing about that prayer is that God is guaranteed to answer it. God is guaranteed to do it. God will. God will either do it in this life, and I hope and pray that he does, or he will do it on the final day of the resurrection, where I'll have a new body and live in a new heaven and new earth. So the question isn't, will God end my suffering? The question is actually, when? And that means I can endure Knowing that it ends means you can actually endure. Psalm 13, it's gorgeous. It starts by legitimising all that emotional pain that you feel. It encourages us to pray desperately for rescue. And it gives us very good reasons to express trust in God that He will answer all of those prayers and will one day deliver us from all suffering. And we have that trust because we know the one who prayed those three things in the Garden of Gethsemane and then went to the cross to take our suffering for sin upon himself. We have good reason to trust God. And we're going to express that trust of him now, even in times of suffering. We're going to express that trust to him now by singing a song which deals
0: with these kind of issues. So I'm going to invite the musicians up and we're going to express our trust to God.